Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, we have a great show lineup for today. You know, we're going to start off talking about your money meeting questions. What is a money meeting? I was going to say, you do have money meetings, well, don't absolutely. you? Absolutely. Almost daily. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, we're talking about a money meeting between you and your spouse or significant other. And, uh, you know, and then what questions do you ask during that money meeting? This is this is pretty interesting stuff. It gets an article out of Forbes. And, um, yeah, so we're going to dig into that. What should you be asking when you're meeting with your spouse and how routinely should you be meeting and talking about money? Yeah, I know Dave Ramsey's a big proponent of that, having the uh, the budget meeting, you know, looking at what you're going to do with your money and, um, you know, just kind of giving it a name. So that's a great topic. And then we're going to follow up that with a discussion of the economy. We've uh, been talking a lot on the economy recently and uh, earnings are doing really well. And, um, you know, the question is, is is it sustainable? Is it going to continue? What are the markets going to do? We're obviously not going to try to predict anything here because no one knows. Um, but this is a, a pretty good discussion on how the economy stands and some key metrics that we're looking at. Yeah, that'll be a great topic. And by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 23 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have uh, an MBA in finance and also over 25 years in helping corporations and individuals with planning. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, you can find those podcasts at uh, uh, moneymd.net. Check out that website. We also have a lot of tools some uh, retirement calculators out there. We have a lot of videos on different topics. I uh, also have a Facebook page that we post a, uh, a video on a weekly basis. And um, we're also tweeting out there. Matthew's uh, doing a whole bunch of tweeting. We've got um, a tweet of the day for August that he's putting out there, which is pretty cool. Just some tips. And so check that out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and do check us on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there. Ask us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Um, you can reach us directly by email at info at moneymd.net. Okay, John, well, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is a, a pretty interesting one that you and I have been talking about a little bit. Um, uh, New York City could become the first major U.S. city to actually put a cap on the number of vehicles that Uber, Lyft, and other ride-hailing companies are, are uh, using. So they're basically saying... Hey, we're going to cap the number of um, vehicles for these services. Um, they're they're basically accusing the ride um, sharing services as com- completely dis- dis- uh, demolishing the taxi industry, and also they're saying it's clogging the streets. Yeah, I can see the argument about it clogging the streets, and maybe you know enough is enough, and you don't need you know a, a million you know Uber folks out there, but. You know, the I think the leaning should be to let capitalism drive that, let the price drive that, not necessarily the government. The government. What I think is really hilarious that when you should drill down in this article is the the logic they use to say that, you know, that that, you know, that it's hurting the taxi industry and and it's and it should be controlled. Um they say one argument they use is that the price of a medallion that's a license for being able to drive a taxi in New York City um, has plummeted from over like $1.3 million five years ago to now being sold for as little as $160,000. Wow. 
Well, that's an argument for Uber, you know, not for yellow taxis. I mean, that just tells you that you are paying far too much to ride in a taxi in New York City. Yeah, it's supply demand. Too. Yeah, I they, mean, they limited it such that they, caught, that, that they could recoup $1.3 million for buying a license by charging you way too much for riding in a taxi. Mm-hmm. So, so Uber was desperately needed for those poor folks in in New York City. And the other argument they use, I think, is another hilarious argument, which tells you they just really don't get capitalism. They said there's a study that says if ride hailers were not available, you know, um, so in other words, if you weren't able to to get an Uber, 60% of the users in large, dense cities would have either walked, biked, taken public transportation, or not traveled at all. Uh, they've created another market. Exactly. That cre- that's, that's a service yeah. that wasn't being served by the taxis that was just created. 60% of it is brand new GDP. It's brand new service and, you know, that, that people are willing to pay for. And, you know, Uber has filled that service, created the service out of thin air that, that people value and are willing to pay for. Again, that's an argument for Uber, not for taxis. Yeah, right. Because, yeah, that's a that's a great, you know, public service that, that they're willing to pay for. Um, so or they just wouldn't have traveled at all is what they're saying. <laughs> so it's kind of <clears throat> hilarious how some of these liberals in the big cities try to justify, you know, government intervention. Um Anyway, very interesting fact of the week. Yeah, Uber is getting some pushback from uh, the liberals in the big city. So there you go. All right, and that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is your money meeting questions. Um, yeah, John, this is based on an article out of Forbes, uh, Nancy Anderson, recently. And But, you know, the, the question is, do you routinely meet with your spouse or significant other to discuss money? Well, I mean, statistics say probably not, um, but maybe you, you you have some casual conversations about money. There is a new survey out by TD Bank that says 75% of millennials couples do talk about money once a week, compared to 66% of Gen Xers and 44% of baby boomer couples. But it needs to be more than just a casual conversation if you want to affect change and redirect your future to be successful, you need to discuss things like specific goals and changes that you're working on together to get on track for retirement. Yeah, so we like the the timing of maybe a monthly meeting where it's formal and you update and discuss all these things. And, you know, preparing for retirement really is a major long-term project and it affects the rest of your life. So definitely worth spending some time on it. When you have a, you know, a major project, at work, um, you know, do you have routine meetings um, to discuss this prog- progress? Of course you do. At work, you're meeting pretty frequently. And, um, you know, do you also report on the progress and ask questions as you're headed through those meetings? Of course you do at work. You're, you're, you're you know, kind of task-oriented and project-oriented, and you get a lot of different people in the room. Um, so why shouldn't retirement and your financial progress as a family be any different than that? It really shouldn't be. So if you take your financial future seriously, then you're going to want to set up a, a routine monthly meeting, start asking some questions to yourself and about kind of where things stand. And I think monthly is a pretty good time frame. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And in today's society, with so many demands on our money, you know, retiring at all is a challenge. And we're trying to invest for our retirement. We're trying to help fund our kids' college education, save for future health care costs, pay down debt, you know, all the while making a mortgage or rent payment, you know, and paying all our monthly expenses as well as saving up for emergencies and vacations. 
So with so many money distractions, having a system to get on track to retire earlier and stay on track can be a huge help. And a monthly money meeting, you know, basically an appointment to keep you and your spouse or your significant other um, on the same track, on the same page, that can be a great start. And even if you're single, you know, you need to set aside regular time to set up, to set aside and focus on your money um, and, you know, see if you're on track to meet all of your goals. The actions you take today will help determine your future retirement for decades to come. You know, and during your money meeting, review your short-term, long-term goals. Examine your your, your past month, um, plan for your upcoming month. Each month, you'll track your progress, determine your actionable steps for the future. So here's how to start. First, for the first meeting, block off about two hours, maybe, um, you know, after that, maybe an hour a month would probably get it done. And, uh, you know, and have a specific time that you set this up. Um, that should be sufficient if you, you know, take an hour a month. Take notes on maybe your iPad, your iPhone, um, or a notebook. And for your first meeting, prepare a net worth statement um, and have a monthly spending plan or budget or a list of what you spend, then ask yourself these 10 questions and write down the answers in your notebook. Over time, those answers will help you find trends and track your progress to your larger goals. Yeah, so here's question number one as you sit down and, and uh, you know talk about your finances is uh, dream a little bit, look into the future. What do you want to um, do in five to 10 years that you need to save and invest for today? And you know, some examples, in, in five years, you'd like to have the financial freedom to maybe leave your job and start your own consulting business, um, maybe only working 20 hours a week. Uh, that would give you time to travel, spend more time with your family. And in five years, um, maybe you want to take a, uh, a six-month learning sabbatical, and you're going to have to obviously be prepared financially because you're not going to be paid during that time frame, or you're only going to be paid 50% for that year. But, um, you know, some people look out and say, hey, I would like to be financially independent and actually retire. So if you can answer this, um, you have your first major goal that you're working towards. So look out five to 10 years and kind of see a major goal that you want to look, look for. Yeah, that'd be a great question to ask yourself. Then the next question would be look a little closer in and say, what major money goal do I want to accomplish in one year? Examples would be to pay off all your consumer debt, your credit card debt, and your car, maybe. Um, maybe you want to live off 60% of your income and save and invest the other 40% to fully fund Roth IRAs. That would be a great goal. Um, maybe you want to be setting aside $300 a month for expected and unpredictable expenses um, in an emergency fund so you don't have to put them on a credit card. So those are all be great goals. And, and so that's the second question you should ask yourself. What do you want to accomplish in one year? The next one here is um, what step will I take this month to move closer to that money goal? Some examples would be stop using credit cards. So no new credit, no new charges are added to your cards. This will make it easier to pay off the debt. Um, and then maybe you're increasing your 401k contribution to the maximum allowable limit or at least by 1%, you know, and if you do that 1% each year, eventually you'll be there. Um, and you, maybe you'll track every dollar you spend this month to see where your money's going. So those are all um, great steps you can take, concrete steps to reach your major money goal. Next question would be, 
what will I learn this month to further my knowledge of money? Um, maybe you'll read a chapter of a book on personal finance, or maybe read a book on personal finance. Maybe I'll read a blog post from a financial expert. You know, check this one off since you're you're already listening to, to a us. podcast That's right, right now. Exactly. Um, at least the podcast one, or I'll listen to a finance course from uh, Great Courses, the Great Courses, um, which is a, a website that has finance courses listed. Um, or I'll find another financial podcast to listen to besides the Money Doctors. That's right. So um, those are, out there. yeah, those are all <laughs> great things, great steps to further your learning to get toward your money goals. Yeah, I'd say listen to Dave Ramsey. He's he's pretty good from what I hear. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Another question here on the list is, uh, wh- where did your money go last month? And uh, how do you need to adjust it for this month? You know, take a couple of minutes. You should be doing some budgets and so forth, but you can look at your your bank or uh, card statements. And um, you know, did you um, hit your targets? Did you overspend in a certain area that maybe threw off your budget? And so, in in the next month, you can uh, bring your lunch to save on the food cost to make up that difference. So, go back and review a little bit, and then you can make some adjustments for the next budget. Yeah, that's a good one. Another question is, where will my money go this month? So, review your budget to figure out how much you can spend this month. Set a target, um, an amount for groceries, entertainment, et cetera, all the way down the list in your budget. Um, For example, you know, I I have not spent anything on entertainment this month, so this month um, I can get tickets for an outdoor concert maybe. Um, So you just have to go through your budget and see where you have room to spend money, but cap the areas where you've already spent too much uh, for the month. Next question would be, how did I grow my net worth last month? Did I set aside funds in my emergency fund? Did I invest money last month? Did I pay off my consumer debt? You know, did my net worth grow and I'm on track to continue to grow it? I kind of like that one on an annual basis more. It's just, yeah. you know, it takes a little bit of time to pull that together. But, you know, month to month, it's going to fluctuate. But I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess their their main thrust here is, you know, am I saving money routinely yeah, to right. help build toward that? But and yeah, paying off debt, too. Right. The market goes up and down. Yeah. But, you know, did I do my part to, to increase my net worth? Um, next question here is, what will I do at work this month to excel? Um, maybe to earn a bonus or get a promotion. Um, so, you know, your earnings potential is an asset in your to your ability to build wealth. So how are you making yourself valuable to your company to maintain and grow your earnings potential this month? For example, you know, I reviewed my company's strategic initiatives for the year and I worked on, on the company's most important project this month. Or I worked on my goals and I continued to build toward my goals. So those would all be good things. Yeah, another one here on the list, which is kind of similar to other ones, but just looking out for this month and what big step are you going to take? You know, if you're a late starter to retirement planning, in order to retire early, you're going to have to take some big steps, um, as well as some small ones to get there. So some of the big steps would be cutting expenses, maybe creating some additional income streams, or may, maybe making more money. And, for example, we see a lot of people doing this, and we've talked about this recently, is you know if you have a basement or a guest you know bedroom, um, rent it out on uh, Airbnb or VRBO or to a college student. Take that money, be very intentional, and invest it in a uh, Roth IRA or a mutual fund to help create another income stream in retirement or hit one of your other goals. Yeah, that's that's a great one. And then another question is, what will I do this month to get healthier? Um, you know, your your health is very very important, and it is intricately tied 
to your financial health as well. Uh, medical expenses are, are costly now and in retirement, so prevent future expenses or help limit them by getting as healthy as you can today to enjoy retirement or to give more energy, you know, if you plan on working part-time in retirement. Get healthy, stay healthy now, and as an added bonus, you'll feel better, you'll have more energy to enjoy life today. So, for example, maybe you suffer from chronic sinus infections due to colds and allergies, so you set up an appointment with an ear, nose, uh, throat doctor specialist to get some treatment for that. So make some concrete steps to get yourself healthier and then last question is, a uh, bonus question here is, what will I do to strengthen my closest relationships this month? You know, many couples cite finances as their top cause of stress in a relationship. Um, and I could tell you just from all the counseling we've done over the years to, mm-hmm. for folks that it also hurts you financially when your relationships go sour. Because you start spending money, you start focusing less on your finances, and you start spending money trying to repair those relationships. So it's very, very important that you keep your relationships healthy, um, even financially. But just setting up a monthly money meeting will help alleviate this stress. If you have uh, a set time to discuss finances and actually keep those meetings, then you're going to be free to enjoy the rest of your time together as a couple without having to worry about the money issue. You'll be on track. Celebrate it by nurturing your closest relationships. Plan a low-cost night out. You know, head to a free outdoor concert with a picnic, maybe. Um, but be proactive um, for change in your life um, by taking these steps, having your money meeting, answering these questions that we've just put forth. And if you want a copy of these questions, just shoot us an email and we'll be happy to get those to you. Okay. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this question, uh, I spoke with someone a couple of weeks back, uh, a couple that came in and they said they were really reluctant to, to come in. Uh, they were a prospect and uh, did some counseling for them. And um, they said they wanted to talk to someone about their financial situation for a while, but they didn't, they, they had made some mistakes with money, um, like who hasn't, right? Right. And they didn't want to be judged. They were embarrassed about their financial situation. They they had some debt and they didn't have, um, you know, an emergency fund. They weren't saving for retirement. So you know, the question is, is what kind of suggestions? Um, I mean, I think, first of all, you, you know, everybody's made mistakes with money. You look at Dave Ramsey. Sure. He certainly talks about his mistakes quite a bit. You and I have made mistakes. You know, you learn from those and, um, you know, you, you try not to make them again, certainly. But, um, you know, I think people are, and some folks are um, embarrassed about their finances, but, the way we approach things, I know you and I, is we certainly don't judge anyone. We say, you know, you can't look back and hindsight's twenty twenty. You've got to figure out where you are and then the the smart steps to move forward. Now, you can certainly learn from your history, but you can't beat yourself up. No, definitely not. I mean, when it comes to money and, you know, your health and all these kind of things, you have to put your pride aside, I think, and you have to just suck it up and take the steps necessary to get in better shape. And um, so, you know, yeah, maybe you've made some big mistakes in the past, but we all have areas where we we fall down. We all have shortcomings. So you have to get on track to to get those under under wraps and, 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 you know, going in the right direction. And you can't let your pride get in the way of that. So I would say, you know, you just can't you got to ignore that. You got to push through that and not be embarrassed about it and, and take the right steps to meet with the right person, to get some help, to, to get on the right track. So um, anyway, that's a great question of the week. 
And that leads us up here to our next topic, and that is um, the economy's earnings surge. Uh, should they are they sustainable? You know, is it or is it a sugar high? Yeah, good question. I mean, this is from uh, Charles Schwab and uh, Lizanne Saunders uh, wrote this, and pretty pretty good discussion. And so the question is: Is the boost to the economy and corporate earnings um, that have you know happened as a result of the tax cuts is it sustainable? Um, is it uh, something that's going to last long term, and uh, or is it a, a sugar high and it's going to come crashing down? It's probably somewhere in between. Um, and obviously, no one knows the direction of the markets, but we certainly know that the economy has done well. Um, you know, recently, if you look at uh, GDP, it was about four point one percent. In the second quarter, um, it's uh, really the highest pace of growth in nearly four years. And the first quarter was actually um, revised up um, to 2.2% from 2%. There were some changes that were made, but GDP is very strong. Right. Yeah, it's gotten on a good path, and hopefully it is sustainable for a long time. I mean, nobody knows that. But, yeah, exports, they surged 9.3% um, courtesy of energy-related product exports, but importantly also, the acceleration in soybean exports in advance of the regulatory tariffs put in effect by China was part of that. Obviously, that's not sustainable. Um, so there are pieces of this that are certainly not sustainable. There, there always is. But, you know, given that import growth was much weaker by only 0.5%, net exports were on fire, no doubt. So the pace of growth will almost assuredly slow in future quarters when it comes to exports. Yeah, we see uh, business capital spending was up about 7%, and uh, that's really as a result of the initial benefit from the tax cuts. But there are also strength in the energy and, and technology sectors. Uh, revisions were strong as well. The um, The fixed income revised was revised higher for each of the past 10 years. Uh, on the other hand, there were some residential um, reductions from a spending standpoint, but we do see businesses spending a lot. I mean, it's I think it's a pro-business environment out there right Definitely. now. And we see inventories have dropped from $58 billion to $28 billion, which was the lowest lowest level of inventory since the final quarter of 2000, uh, 2009. Um, so that's interesting because that means that wow. the demand is really high and they're not able to keep up with supply, right? That's right. And uh, the personal savings rate was re- revised significantly higher to 6.8% through the first quarter. We like to think that's because of the money doctors, right? Yeah, we're making a huge impact. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure Dave Ramsey Country moves wide. that a little bit as well. Um, <laughs> it's more than double than the prior reading of 3.3%. Uh, now, it's fair to, to say that the workers pays uh, share of corporate income is is rising at a faster pace so there's some good signs out there from a personal standpoint as well absolutely yeah Um, productivity is accelerating and that's great news based on last week's gdp report and the prior revisions productivity in the second quarter likely accelerated to about 1.5 percent year over year according to uh, evercore um, so, you know, this continued acceleration is probably not getting the attention it deserves. So there are some real, there's some real productivity improvements yeah, that are happening important. out there that, that do have long-term effects. Yeah. We see the earnings second quarter earnings season is, uh, keeping up with the, uh, the trend of the first quarter and thanks and in, in part to the corporate tax cuts. Um, <clears throat> we see, uh, earnings are expected to be up about 23% in the second quarter following, 
a 27% uh, increase in the first quarter. And the number of companies that have beat their estimates is currently at 83%, which if it persists would be a record. So wow. that's pretty impressive. That um, really is. Companies are coming in higher than what the analysts think. But uh, with the theme of be careful what you wish for, high, um, you know, beat rates is what they call, have, have not always been met with strong equity markets. Uh, again, we don't know where the markets are going here, uh, but it does reflect the market's discounting tendencies and the possibility that stocks, you know, may have anticipated that the bar is set too high for future disappointment. So um, it's great that companies are beating, but it doesn't all, uh, translate into the, the markets going up. Right, right. And I think a lot of the, the the reluctance of the markets to go up is all this uncertainty revolving around trade, um, which eventually tariffs, that, right. tariffs, right? Eventually that will pass. But um, but you know some companies are uh, are getting a lot of attention for for earnings, and uh, some are not doing so well. In fact, Facebook's a prime example. Well, it took a face plant, didn't it? <laughs> it did take a face plant. It tripped and went face first, like you said. Um, you know, it captured a lot of the earnings attention last week as they missed their earnings estimate and, you know, had a 19% drop on Thursday last week just prior to the earnings release. Um, they were trading at an all-time high. So that plunge equated to $120 billion of stock market value that was lost, which is now the largest drop in history for one country, one company. company. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Prior, the prior record holder was Intel from mm-hmm. from September of two thousand. So there you go. Yeah, I think Twitter had a bad day as well. Um, yeah, all the technologies. Yeah, had a really they bad got, day. They, they got they got really hammered. And so you know when you look historically at um, you know some some uh, you know the losers on on earnings for the the ten largest losers were housed in the S and P five hundred. And it's um it's it's common to see a bunch of no name stocks on that list of of worst performing stocks based on their earnings, but to have four of the ten largest coming from the S and P five hundred is is very unusual. So very large companies um you know have been hit hard recently, very very right. hard. Right, they've been driving the market up and down. That's right. So more surprisingly than that is that you know S and P five hundred stocks they did some of them did take big hits, but the overall index was up um, last week and. Um, you know, there is a, a misconception by many investors and pundits about the narrowness of the market. The only sector with significantly better cap-weighted performance uh, is the consumer discretionary, which, oh, by the way, Amazon and Netflix are in. So right. it is, uh, it's, they're saying it's a little bit broader than what people are saying, but, um, you know, technology did get hit. Definitely, very hard. Definitely. But it's very much a mixed bag. That's why you want to stay diversified. You can't be in just technology or chasing one stock or one sector because um, those are the things that can happen if you do. So there is a risk to growth, I think, for the future. You know, the the net is that the breadth of the stock market and the economy suggests sustainable strength, but not likely at the current pace. Um, you know, both the economy and earnings growth rates may be at at or near peak, you know, levels. We don't know. Um, but although positive growth is likely to persist, though, going forward, um, the most notable risk to economic and earnings growth uh, looking forward is the ongoing trade, you know, skirmish, if you will. You know, in fact, I mean, the topic has increasingly become the prominent topic of quarterly corporate earnings calls that have been coming in. Yeah, and you look at the quarterly earnings calls, about 20% of companies use the the tariff word as as an issue or something to, to be aware of. In the second quarter, 
Uh, that's doubled to 40% of the companies mentioning tariffs. And for all 500 companies during the first quarter earnings season, the word was mentioned about 200 times. So, um, you know, it's it's already been mentioned in the second quarter 600 times. So a lot of companies are certainly watching this. Um, you know, President Trump tweeted, uh, you know, this week about more tariffs and spooking the markets. And, uh, you know, I, I guess our take on it is is probably posturing. We think long-term, uh, this is noise, um, right. and uh, short-term, there's certainly going to be volatility associated with it. But if you're diversified and have a plan, um, you can certainly weather this. Yeah, definitely. And I think when you look at the big picture, you know, what's happened with earnings over the past year and, and the incredible growth rate we've seen, that does create some potential for the future in the market because valuations have gotten more attractive mm-hmm. as earnings have gone up. You know, an average P.E. ratio now for the S&P 500 is about 16, whereas it was well over 18 just a year <clears> ago. So, the, you know, while the market hasn't made a lot of progress over the last six months, um, these this increased earnings growth has created some potential. So hopefully we will see that translate into higher prices in the market here in the near future. I think the potential is there, um, but you never know. So that's why you stay diversified. You don't try to time it. You have to stay well spread out in the stock market. Um, that's the key here. Um, okay, well, this leads us up to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this prescription is, um, and we've talked about this before quite a bit, but just make sure you have a plan to pay your mortgage off before going into retirement. You know, we see... 40 to 50% of retirees have a mortgage and it's just a, it's kind of a weight on them. It's just another $1,000, $500, $1,500, whatever the mortgage payment is going out. They have no choice on it. If you can have that paid off, it can really give you some flexibility, not only on the amount of income that you're going to have, but maybe even when you retire, right? Makes a huge difference to have your mortgage paid off. So yeah, the prescription is figure out how long you have to pay that off um, now and then get on track to have it paid off by the time you retire, if at all possible. So increase your payment, add a couple hundred dollars a month, whatever it takes, do the math. We can help you with that. But figure out how to have it totally paid off by retirement, if at all possible, because it gives you a lot more flexibility and then obviously lowers your expenses substantially during retirement. So that's your prescription of the week. And this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, and email us your questions at info at moneymd.net, or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVistor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 